Welcome to the watermarkoc.church podcast. Thank you for listening. Awesome. Awesome time in worship. My name is Pastor Bucky. So thankful to have you here in church this morning. And we are blessed and welcome you, especially here for the first time. We extend a watermark greeting. Thanks for hanging out today. It is so fun. Isn't it fun to come to church with a little rain in the air, huh? So nice. It feels like fall and we hope you guys are having a great weekend with family and friends, maybe some football, maybe some relationships, but just hopefully you enjoy it. Last weekend, we had a fun party here at Watermark. Uh, wasn't that fun? And uh, Harvest Toad out out there, mechanical bull, you know, I saw some riders and uh, it was pretty, pretty fun. Uh, and I just wanted to commend you guys because we asked you guys to pray, to partner us in prayer. And actually, we even went out, uh, the place out there we're going to build, the truck ramp is going to become a deck. And we're going to put a deck out there. We're going to have a lot of fun out on that deck. But we asked you to write the names of people that you wanted uh, to know God in a personal way through the good news of Jesus. And you prayed, and you invited, and you invested, and some people came, some people didn't. But we had some great newcomers here last week. And guess what? Two people accepted Christ for the first time last weekend. It's awesome. And so while we were having a party down here, there was a party going off in heaven, right? Luke 15 says, Jesus says there's a party that explodes in heaven when one person repents. One lost sheep comes home, one lost son is found. One broken, open person to God chooses to follow Jesus, and a huge party goes on. So good for God, let's give him a hand, and let's pray as we open God's word today to thank him for all that he's doing in our church. Would you bow with me? Father, thanks for this morning. Thank you as we open your word in the gospel of Matthew, as we think about what it means to walk in the easy yoke that you have offered us, Jesus. Lord, would you uh, speak to us, and Holy Spirit, would you invade our minds and, and touch our hearts and open us up so that we can understand what you want us to know today. And we thank you for last week, and we thank you for the chance to partner with you, God. And we thank you for the chance that you go and seek and save the lost. And you brought those two wonderful people home last week. And we get the chance to celebrate and be a part of what you're doing. And so we thank you for that at Watermark Church, and we ask that you bless this word to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in a series called The Secret of Easy. We've been talking about this tool that's up on the screen that is an old ancient tool. It's a farming yoke. And many of you may have seen one of those in a museum. If you're from Wisconsin, maybe you've seen one of those right out front of your house. There's not a lot of those around here in Southern California. Maybe back in the old days there were. But this farming tool was a a great revolutionary tool in the ancient world because it allowed a farmer to take two draft animals, put them together, a yoke or a yak or oxen, and allow them to plow a field. And through this tool, two were better than one, right? Two would plow better than one. The farmer didn't have to put the weight of the burden of plowing on his back. He'd work with that team and they'd plow a field more effect, a field more effectively and efficiently. And there was more rest in that whole work and that burden. And Jesus took this because it was actually a part of the first century world because when Jesus mentioned the yoke, the people knew that what he's talking about, not just from a farming perspective, but they knew what he was talking about because in ancient Israel, when a rabbi talked about his yoke, they understood that was the way that he applied and lived the law. See, a rabbi would invite disciples to follow him and he would take the law and he would show them, not just through his teaching, but through his life. 
through his rhythm. He, they would walk with him and they would watch him apply the law and teach and show them how to do life under the rule of the law. And Jesus said, as a rabbi, take my yoke. My yoke is distinct and my yoke is unique. And he called out to those that were burdened and weary because of the religion of his day. Jesus struggled with the religious leaders of his day because they were putting a yoke of religion on the people that was burdensome, that was weary, that was exhausting them. And Jesus invited them to walk with him under a different yoke. And so he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is life. He didn't say life is easy, but he says life with me is easy under the easy yoke that I provide. He called out to the crowds around him and he said, come to me if you're weary and burdened, burned out on religion, burned out and trying to bear the weight of life and purpose and meeting on your own, right? Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rests for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This amazing promise of Jesus who claimed to be not just a man, not just a rabbi, but God with us, God in the flesh. And Jesus is offering us a with God life versus a without God life. You see, life is much easier with God than without God. Life is much easier in relationship to God without a relationship to God. And that is the rest that he provides for a weary soul. And Jesus, who came to this planet and spoke the law and lived the law perfectly, he died on the cross for the sins of mankind. He went into the ground and he rose from the dead. And Christianity says that he has ascended to the Father and he is on the throne of the universe. This same Jesus who promised this easy yoke thousands of years ago, promises this easy yoke today, even in the burdens and the blessings of modern life. I mean, certainly a lot of things have changed over a thousand years. We have new technology. We have new opportunities. We have incredible uh, progression with science and education. We have all these opportunities in the modern world, but we still have burdens and blessings that the easy yoke speaks to today. We still struggle with purpose and meaning. Even with all the stuff we have around us, we're still trying to find our purpose. There's still a burden to produce and provide for our families. How do I put food on the tables? Even with all the stuff in Orange County, there's still this, this sense of where is peace and connectedness because there's loneliness and there's weariness. There is still the burdens of the modern world of producing, providing, and performing in our workplace and in our world, and people are weary and heavy laden. Some of you may feel weary and heavy laden by the, by the course and the pace and the burdens of Orange County life, and the same voice that spoke 2,000 years speaks to you today and offers you to come and find life under the easy yoke of Jesus. How does that happen? How does this Jesus, who is God, who now rules the heavens, how is he present and available to us even today, right? What does the easy yoke look like? Like I can't uh, join Jesus and follow him around today, right? I can't do that. How does, how does the creator and the, the, the sustainer of all things be present and available in your life in Orange County today? And the answer is, through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The easy yoke is offered to us as we, entered into a, as we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and we find union with him and we find that union through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are born into a rest as we believe in Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us if we are Christ followers. And because of that, the presence of God is with us right here, right now today, bringing an easy yoke to Orange County life. The presence of a faithful friend, Right? The easy yoke of Jesus, the very presence of Jesus now dwells with us as a friend, as a comforter, as a provider through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we walk in that yoke of relationship by faith through grace because of Jesus Christ. Also, the easy yoke comes to us because we have an inner strength through the power of the Holy Spirit, God changing us from the inside out to help us bear the burdens of providing and the pressure to perform. And the questions and the struggles of life, we have someone to shoulder the load as the, the power of the Spirit gives us peace and joy and inner ballast and inner strength to bear the burdens of life. And also we have a new perspective. I want to talk to you about that new perspective today as we add on to this teaching of the easy yoke. I think Jesus wants us to have freedom in that yoke as we walk with him through the power of the Holy Spirit and we receive his grace and his love and his burden-bearing work in our life, he brings us into the gift of self-forgetfulness. He brings us into the blessing of humility. Humility is that place in the gospel life, in gospel humility, humility where we have the freedom of self-forgetfulness forgetfulness and that seems so weird to us in the modern world in a psychological culture that says we need to focus on the self we need to transform the self we need to nurture the self we need self-esteem we need self-evaluation we need all this self all we do is talk about the self all the time and uniquely the voice of Jesus says I am humble that's who I am God is the most humble person on the planet And Jesus had this beautiful ministry because he lived under the yoke of his father and he ministered out of the yoke of self-forgetfulness. He wasn't burdened by the feelings of less than. He wasn't burdened by the feelings of greater than. He was free to forget about his self and love others. This is the blessings of self-forgetfulness. This is the freedom of humility that Jesus offers us under the easy yoke. Taking the easy yoke of humility versus the yoke that the religious leaders of Jesus' day offers, which is the yoke of pride, the yoke of self-exaltation, the yoke of self-fulfillment, the yoke of self and powering up and proving that you're enough through your own strength and your own willpower to be acceptable to God. Jesus offers a different yoke to find rest through the grace of humility, receiving God's love and his forgiveness and his grace. See, pride, the yoke of pride, is creating rest through two ways that the world presents it to us. Whether it's religion or philosophy or a system of thinking, the world says you can create rest either through a system of self-loving or self-loathing. Those are the two ways that the world presents rest to us. In the ancient world, if you were listening to a Greek philosopher or if you were studying under Aristotle or Socrates or you were, you were thinking about uh, the, the, the different myths and things that were being created, 
The ancient world felt that the problems in the ancient world, whether there was evil, whether there was uh, dysfunction, whether there was brokenness and guilt and bad things happened because of hubris, because of the pride of mankind. And so the reason there were problems in the world was because evil things happened because people were too prideful. They were too full of themselves. The rulers were prideful, right? The rulers came down and oppressed people. People did bad things to people, and there were wars, and there were all these things because of the pride and the hubris of mankind. And so we needed self-loathing to fix that, right? So we, we needed to wear a, a, a girdle that had, had this really coarse hair and just beat ourselves up, right? We need, we need self-flagellation, self-loathing. If somebody committed a crime, we put them in prison, and it was life on the rock, right? They had to do hard labor and burdensome. We needed to break the will. We needed to break the pride. That was the philosophy in the ancient world. The problem was people thought too much of themselves, and so they needed self-loathing to correct the self. Now, in the 20th century, we flipped that upside down. We said the problem is not self, is, is the fact that people think too much of themselves. The problem is people have a self-esteem problem. The reason that, that people have a divorce is because of low self-esteem. The reason that people become addicted is because of low self-esteem. The reason that there's wars and hatred is because low self-esteem. And so if we can help people with their self-esteem, if we can build them up and they can feel good about themselves and they can affirm themselves and they can bless themselves and they can reach things, they're going to accomplish great things through education and and self-esteem building. And so the two ways that the world wants to yoke us to freedom and yoke us to rest is through self-loathing or self-hating. Jesus offers neither of these things. Because ultimately, self-loathing and self-hating is too over-focused on what? The self, right? (laughs) Trying to reform the self, make the self better, exalt the self, fix the self. It's all an over-focus and a narcissistic focus on the self. Jesus offers us something totally different and otherworldly through the gospel. He doesn't offer us self-loathing or self-loving. He offers us rest through the gift of self-forgetfulness. He offers us rest through the gift of self-forgetfulness. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about gospel humility and gospel rest in mere Christianity. True freedom is not thinking more of myself, right? Self-loving. True freedom is not thinking less of myself. Self-loathing. True freedom in the gospel comes from thinking about myself less, not focusing on myself, not focusing on the, how I feel, not focusing on how that person, what that person said about me, how that made me feel, or with the person that cut me off, how that offended me. Not overly focusing on myself and what, how everybody looks at me and how everybody feels about me, others' opinions, my opinions. That is a burden and a heavy yoke that makes people so weary in Orange County. Look at Facebook if you don't think so. Look at the constant posting. Focus on me. Bless me, like me, like me, like me, right? An over-narcissistic focus on the self and how I feel about myself, how I perceive myself, and how others perceive me. That is a heavy yoke that brings no rest to the lives of Orange County today. And Jesus offers us something totally different. The freedom of rest that comes from self-forgetfulness, right? In the gospel of God. And that's why Jesus struggled 
with the religious leaders of his day, right? These people are supposed to be leading the people into a relationship of rest with God who created them. You know, the creation story is that we were created for rest in God, for relationship with God, love of God, and loving others. And the religious leaders were so out of sync, they had taken the law, which was meant to bring us into a relationship with God, so that we would need his grace and mercy, and we could rest in his work and not ours. But the, disciple, the, the Pharisee says, no, it's all about us. We can supersize the law, and we can create a system where we can achieve rest on our own. That was their pride. It was, it was a better then. It was a self-loving, Right? And yet the religion that they produced and the burdens they put on the people was self-loathing. I'm better than because I keep the law. I'm better than because I tithe. I'm better than because, and you're less than. So let me just put a little more burden on you. So I can feel good about myself and you can feel less than. That was the religion of Jesus' day. And Jesus says, watch out for the Pharisees. Watch out for their yoke. It's a yoke of pride. It's a yoke will leave, that will lead you to burdensome, wearisome, self-focus, and don't follow their path. Listen to what they say because they sit in the seat of Mo- Moses, but don't do what they do because everything that they do is to be noticed by someone else. They were the ultimate posters, right? They, were the old, old, they, they would have loved Facebook. There would have been posts of them all over the place. Snapchat, here I am. Look at me in the seat at the banquet, right? <laughs> here I am. Look at, my, look at my phylactery on my head. It's the biggest one in town. Here I am. Look at me. And this is what Jesus said. Everything the Pharisees do is for people to see. It's all about focusing on themselves. It's about self-loving Look at this, everything they do. They make their phylacteries. Does anybody know what a phylactery is? Good job. A phylactery is a wooden box. In the book of Deuteronomy, when, the law, when, when Moses recounted the law, he said, hey, write the law on your forehead. Write the law on your hands. And they took that literary, the Pharisees did it, they made these wooden boxes. They put them on their hairists, and they put them on their foreheads, and they put scripture in them to prove that they were fulfilling the law, that they were spiritually. And if you had a big phylactery, man, that means you were really spiritual. And Jesus says, the reason you guys are doing this is to be noticed. It's all about yourself. It's about ego. It's about puffing yourself up. And he says, look at them. They make their phylacteries wide, and the tassels of the garments long. They love the place of honor at the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues, right? To be noticed, oh, there's that person, there's Rabbi so-and-so, there's Rabbi that. Oh, man, he's really got it going on, right? And they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called Rabbi. You know what the name Rabbi meant in the ancient world then? Great one. Just meant teacher meant you're the great one. You're the one, man. You're the teacher. You're the man. And they love this. They ate it up. But then Jesus says, that's not about you guys. That's not what I'm teaching you. I'm teaching you about the easy yoke, Right? And the easy yoke comes not from self-loving or self-loathing. It comes from not focusing on self at all. It comes from self-forgetfulness. And so he says, not so for you. You're not to be called great one or rabbi. It's not about what people call you that brings you freedom in life. And you have no teacher because you're all brothers. Your identity comes from the fact that you're a part of the family of God. You're my beloved children, right? God's children. And don't call anybody on earth father, for you only have one father, and he's the one in heaven. And he, he, he's called you to be his very own. 
Nor are you to call anyone instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah, me, and I'm offering you this easy yoke to walk in relationship of grace and not performance and not pride. The greatest among you will be your servant, the humble one. And those who exalt themselves, like the Pharisees, you know what? They're going to be humble because their yoke is just going to fall apart. (laughs) They're building it on themselves, right? But those who humble themselves under my easy yoke will be exalted. Jesus offered a different yoke. And we still have the problem with these two yokes today. You see, in Orange County, it's not maybe phylacteries, but it's maybe the clothes, the designer labels that we wear, right? It's the cars that we drive. Look at me. Look at my car. Wow, look at the car that he drives. He's got it going on. Look at my title. Look at my position. I'm CEO. I'm this. I'm that. You know, look at, look at the seats I got at the ball game. I'm front row, man. I'm ringside seats. Nothing wrong with any of those things in itself. It's just if you take on that yoke to prove that you're enough. If you take on that yoke to create rest and fulfillment for your soul from the affirmation and self-exaltation of your life, it never creates easy. It only creates the burden of more and the burden of not enough and the focus on the self that can't be controlled and is out of control in Orange County. It doesn't create life. Pride tells us that earning this recognition, this affirmation, this stuff, this power can create rests, but it never can. And Jesus offers us this different path of true rest that comes from intimate knowing the Father. See, I find myself in knowing God. I know who I am in my relationship in knowing the Father, and I find myself as his beloved one. I find my rest in being trained by Jesus in what it means to do life, the life I was created for, the easy yoke of with God, right? And I find life not in self-exaltation and focusing on myself, but in humbly forgetting myself and loving others. That is the beauty of the freedom of the easy yoke that Jesus offers his disciples. A different path than the path of self-loathing or self-loving, but it's a path of self-forgetfulness. You remember the Apostle Paul? He was a Pharisee, like one of these guys. He was a really first-class Pharisee. He's one of the top dogs of his day that came, you know, after, you know, the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Matter of fact, he persecuted the church, and he had, a, he had a resume as a Pharisee that no one had maybe in the ancient world. He talks about it a lot. But the Apostle Paul met the risen Christ in the book of Acts on the road to Damascus, and he was knocked down in his religious pride, because he was blind and he was persecuting the church, and he met the risen Christ face to face, and his whole life turned around, and he started to walk within the easy yoke of Jesus. He started to find rest in relationship with God. His whole life was transformed, and he began to preach and tell the gospel. He planted a church in Corinth that was struggling with this concept of what does it mean to walk in the easy yoke, and the humbleness of self-forgetfulness forgetfulness that, the, that the gospel offers us as we walk under the easy yoke and accept, accept the forgiveness of God and grace of God and walk under the easy yoke of Jesus. And, and as he planted this church in Corinth, Corinth began to divide. They began to divide after he left that church around teachers, around the yoke of pride. And one would say, I'm better than because I'm, I was discipled by Apollos. 
No, no, I should be the leader because the Apostle Paul was my rabbi and he discipled me. No, it was Apollos, the evangelist that brought me to Christ. He, and he is the silver tongue. And you know what? I know a little bit more than you do because Apollos taught me the true meaning of Scripture and the Word of God. You ever, you ever heard of this stuff before? It's probably very foreign. It doesn't happen in churches today, right? I go to this church, man, and this church, we, we're about this. We're about the Word, man. I don't know what you guys are into. Oh, this church, man, we worship the Lord, and our worship services are two and three hours long. <laughs> what time do you guys get out on Sunday? I do this. Oh, look at my fish. I look at my, I do this church. I, and all of a sudden, we start dividing around personalities and people, and we go right into this yoke of pride, self-exaltation, self-glorification because of my relationship with a teacher that makes me enough, right? This is what was happening in Corinth. And Paul wrote a letter to them and says, no, 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 guys. This is not the way it works. This is bringing division. This is bringing burden. This is bringing all kinds of bad stuff. It's breaking up your relationships and your love. No, step under the easy yoke. And he was encouraging them what that looked like. And so he said, so then, no more boasting about your human teachers. You guys stop dividing over who you're following and who's better than all this stuff. You sound like the Pharisees, right? You sound like I used to sound. This is then how you should show regard. You should regard us not as names, but as servants of Christ. We're all on the same playing field. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Don't be, go beyond the scriptures. Your identity, the yoke that you come, comes from the gospel, right? Your freedom comes from the word of God. You are new creatures in Christ. You are new, new, new possessions through the gospel. If you, if you go beyond scripture, you're going to get puffed up. Then you will, will not be puffed up stay within the scriptures and the easy yoke you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us if you make your identity about Paulos and this person and that person you're going to puff yourselves up and you're going to go right into the yoke of pride and this word puff up it says uh, you that you will not be puffed up in being a follower of the of one of us against the other for who makes you different from anyone else what do you have that you did not receive right humility common ground You see, the prideful yoke of boasting was causing divisions and strife in the church. And Jesus, I mean, excuse me, Paul used this word puffed up to describe, you know, the the, the yoke of the world, the the yoke of pride. And instead of the the word in the Greek that would be for hubris, he coins a different phrase. It's used by him five or six times, five times in this letter, another time in the letter to Colossians. And he uses this puff up, puffed up word to describe the ego, the self in such a way that really helps us understand the condition of our lives and ourselves, uh, you know, when we take on this uneasy yoke, this burden-bearing pride of the world. We become puffed up. Our egos get out of control. And Paul is using this word to describe the ego, the puffed up self. The self that can never be reformed. The self that can never, never be reformed by self-loathing or self-loving, right? The natural condition of the human ego is puffed up, Paul says. And it needs constant attention. And Paul says, this is the problem of the yokes of the world. You're just ego-stroking and ego-centered. You're just becoming puffed up. 
And so when you choose this person or that person, or I'm, I'm, I'm a Trojan, I'm a Bruin, I'm a this, I'm a that. I mean, you start puffing yourself and try to make yourself better. You're just stroking your ego, and it's not going to become an easy yoke for you. It's going to create division and hatred, and it's going to mess up your whole organization. It's going to mess up your whole world, your family. If you puff yourself up, you're going to blow out your relationships and your life. And Paul says, understand the natural condition of the human ego. It's puffed up. And this word is describing a human organ that's distended. Right? It's puffed up. It's hurt. It's broken. You ever had something in your body really hurt? You know? How many of you thought of your toes this morning? When you got out of bed, you go, man, I got ten toes, and they're, they're really good. And when you watch, you go, man, I'm just so thankful for these toes. These to- Look at me, dance, look at these toes. Anybody think of your toes today? Probably not many of you, because your toes are working just fine. If your toes are working just fine, you don't think of them. But what about if you got up like me early in the morning, and you hit your toe on the door? Aha! My wife has this wonderful door stopper, and it's a... It's this duck, this golden duck, and every time I find it when the lights are, I just, it's like a magnet for my toe. And see, if your toe is sore, sore like my toe because it's ingrown, the toenail's ingrown, and you just jammed it against the door, you're probably going, ouch, ouch, ouch. That toe is demanding attention all the time, right? Ouch, my toe hurts. Oh, what am I going to do with my toe? I need to soak my toe. I need to go to the doctor and get a shot in my toe. Uh, I mean, to have the toenail taken off, and I need to grow a new, and all, all I'm, I'm so toe-focused, I can't focus on anybody else. This is the problem of the ego. The ego, Paul says, is a puffed-up, broken, hurting organism in your body, like an organism in your body, and all it does is demand attention all the time. Ouch, ouch, ouch. What you said hurt me. Ouch, ouch. I didn't like your Facebook post. Ouch, ouch, ouch. The people didn't laugh at my joke. Thanks for laughing. I don't have to worry about that. Ouch. I'm always worried about myself. I'm always hurting. And Paul says the ego is always hurting because it's swollen, it's bent towards the self, and it's always demanding focus. And that's the problem with the ego. The wounded self, the broken self, the fallen self. And it's always swollen, it's always hurting, and it's always harried. It's always demanding attention and needing to be fixed. How much of your day are you worried about fixing how you feel? I need to fix my feelings because I'm feeling less than. I need to fix my feelings because I'm insecure. I need to fix this relationship because that person might not see me in the right way. I need to fix my kids because we had a fight. and I'm just fixing because I'm demanding to feel better. And so it's all about this hurting, this harried ego, and this hungry ego. Because it can never be satisfied. Paul says the ego is this, this black, bottomless pit. It's always hungry. Like my stomach. I could have a big New York steak last night and a wonderful meal. Guess what happens at 7 o'clock in the morning? I want another one. (laughs) I'm never satisfied. I want steak and eggs. Once I get steak and eggs, guess what I want for lunch? I want eggs Benedict. Because this stomach of mine is never satisfied. It always wants more. That's the problem of the ego. That's the problem with the yoke of pride. It's trying to feed this beast that can't be tamed by self-loathing or self-hatred, or self-affirmation, it can't be tamed. And Paul says what you need is not self-loathing, or self-hating, or self-loving. What you need is the gospel. And that's what's transformed his life. 
the transforming power of the easy yoke. Paul is not focusing on the self anymore. He's not focusing on loathing himself as a Pharisee under this burden. He's not focused on loving himself and standing and getting the affirmations of men. He's not focusing on himself at all because he's full of self-forgetfulness. And he says, now that it is required that those who have been given a trust, that's me as a teacher, to prove faithful. I got a job and I do it. But I don't do it based on what you think about me. I don't do it on your opinions of me. I don't do it on whether I'm popular or I'm unpopular. I don't do my work out of the self, out of the ego. I don't need your affirmations, and I'm not worried about what you think about me. Paul says, uh, I, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Right? I don't worry about your opinions of me. And if you went to a therapist today in Orange County and sat down and said, hey, I'm pro- I got this problem. I think people are mad at me and people are mean to me. And I have this low self-esteem. They'd say, you know, just build up your self-esteem. Write a list of the things that you love about yourself and tell yourself that you're a good person every day. And you'll build that up and you'll be able to go and do your work, right? Just build up yourself and build up your self-esteem. That's not the counsel that Paul is saying because Paul says, I don't care what you think about me. He goes, I don't even care what I think about myself. I don't even care. I don't even judge, judge myself. He says, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must be proven faithful. I care very, very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. See, Paul has stepped out of the ego world and he's now under the easy yoke of self-forgetfulness. The easy yoke of humility. I don't care about what you guys think about me. I don't judge myself by, the, by your looks or by your affirmations or not. And I don't judge myself about how I feel about myself, my, even my own standards that I maybe can't live up to. Right? I, don't, I don't even judge myself. Paul says my conscience is clear. I'm free. I, I'm in this place of freedom. He says, uh, I'm not bound by what you think of me or what I think about myself. I don't need to build myself up through esteem, through, your, through boasting or approval seeking or self-loving. No, through the easy yoke of humility, I have found freedom, the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Paul's performance, the way he preaches, how many people love him or not in Corinth, what they think of him, what even thinks of his own performance, that's decoupled from his identity. His identity now is in Christ. His identity now is in the love of God. His identity now is in the easy yoke. That he's the beloved child and son of God. That's where his identity, that's where he comes from. So he's not worried about that stuff. He's free to forget about himself and to love others and to love them. How does he get there? How do we step into this? How do you become more free? The freedom to be self-forgetful. The freedom not to worry about your ego, your wounded pride, your feelings of less than, your feelings of greater than. To set that stuff aside and be free just to love another person. Be free to see God and who he is and be free to love others. Paul says, my conscience is clear. I have this freedom, but that doesn't make me innocent. What is he trying to say? In the courtroom of life, your opinions of me... And what you think about me, how you judge me, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about how I judge myself. So my consciousness is clear, not because of me. No, because of something else. My opinions and your opinions don't make me innocent. My works don't make me innocent. Who makes me innocent? Who, the word there is justify. That's where it comes from. But that does not make me justified. And then he says, here's the reason why. 
I'm under the easy yoke. It is the Lord who judges me. That's where his freedom comes from. My, um, your opinions do not set the course of my identity. My feelings don't set the course. Of my, it is the Lord who judges me. He is the one that sets my identity in the right place. Uh, I'm not thinking more of myself or less of myself. I'm simply thinking of myself less. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me justified or innocent in the courtroom of life, right? Hitler's conscience might have been clear. That doesn't justify him in the courtroom of life. What justifies us? It is the Lord. It is the relationship I have with, is what he says about me that sets me free under the easy yoke. My value or worth does not come from the courtroom of human opinion or even my own opinions. It is the Lord who has judged me and the verdict is already in. The Lord has judged Paul. The verdict is already in. He's still out there working in Corinth. He's still out there trying to build a church. He's still out there doing things, but the verdict on his life is already in. Do you realize the verdict on your life is already in? That, that who you are in Orange County does not depend on whether you are a success or a failure. It depends on what the Lord says about you. And he's already made the judgment. And what has he said? What's the verdict? There is no condemnation. What's the verdict? You're my beloved child. What's the verdict? I've chosen you to be with me forever. You see, Paul finds freedom in the easy yoke because of the acceptance and the love that he has in Christ. Being in Christ, being that yoke of acceptance and forgiveness allows him to be free and become self-forgetful. Only the gospel, this is so unique about the gospel. If you've never embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, only the gospel says the verdict is in before the performance. It's done, right? <laughs> We're still out there trying to produce and perform, and the verdict's already in. You're innocent. You're loved. You're free. Live in the easy yoke of that freedom and work out of that rest, not for that rest. If you work out of that rest, you'll have so much more freedom, so much more happiness, so much more grace, right? Because you won't need to be self-loving or self-loathing. You'll be free to forget about yourself. This morning as we end our service and we come to this table, this is always a remembrance of the verdict, right? Jesus says, this is, my, this is the verdict. This is my body and blood. This is how much I love you. This is the verdict. I'm giving myself for you so that you can be with me forever. That's the verdict. I've taken on your shame. I've taken on your guilt. I've taken on your pain. And the verdict is not guilty. You're my beloved one. Are you free to walk in that yoke? Do you want more of that? This morning, as you come to the table and you remember the body and blood of the Lord, ask Jesus to show you. Show me how to walk in the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Help me to learn how to focus on who I am and what you say about me and not what other people say about me. Help me not to look at my circumstances as my affirmation or my identity, but help me to look upon your words as who I am and who you created me. Help me to walk in the freedom of self-forgiveness and the easy yoke of Jesus. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this great teaching of Paul. It is so hard to forget about ourselves. <laughs> so hard for me to do that. I, I'm constantly condemning myself, uh, judging others, judging myself, thinking about where I am and how I feel. Oh, Jesus, I long for more of the freedom to forget about me, 
forget about my feelings, to forget about who, who I think I need to be and what people need to say about me. And I long to be free, to see who I am in you. I long for freedom for everybody in this room to take on that easy yoke as we remember your body and blood and have the freedom to see who we are in you and the freedom to forget about ourselves. And so show us what that looks like. Lead us in that path as we worship this morning. In Jesus' name. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church.